I literally bet the farm on this. I leveraged myself right to here and said, we're going to go for it. We're going to go for it, spend a ton of money, spend a ton of money. But when I look at what she asked for, I knew it was a deal. So it was like a reverse acquisition. We went from a $2 million business to a $6 million business, just like that. And we're expanding beyond that. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Mark Boyden, the fifth-generation Cambridge-based farmer that is reinventing natural, healthy beef. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hi, Mark. Hello. Thanks for having me here. I can't believe I'm finally meeting the absolutely infamous Mark Boyden. The Mark Boyden, yeah. I don't know about that. Don't believe everything no, you hear. You got, you know, you capital V, you know, for, for you, Mark. And thank oh. you for making time today to well, glad help to be us invited, understand glad to what, be it's, what it's like to be growing and raising stuff. Yeah, very busy. But uh, I think it's important to make time for this. So there's a lot to talk about. There's quite a story involved and from where we started, where we've been, and where we're going. Love that. But I mean, first thing first, though, I'm almost terrified to ask, but what is it like to have David Bradbury as a fraternity brother? <laughs> so Dave and I go way back. Not only fraternity brothers, we were the same pledge class as fraternity. So yeah, we go back to 1985. Listen, um, thanks for uh, taking him under your wing, because I'm not sure this uh, Massachusetts boy would have lasted without your friendship. 85. They make me feel old. Well, everybody's old but me. I yeah, see, you look pretty at 50, good. At 52, I started going backward. So I actually turned 47 in my years last week, not 57. <laughs> I love it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Sticking it's working great it. now. But in 10 years, when I'm 37, it's probably not going to be working very good. Well, well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Right. I think you look great. Yeah, <laughs> So tell us about your family farm. You're fifth generation. Is that actually fourth? Accurate? My kids are the fifth. Generation. Your kids are fifth. Okay, awesome. And are they involved? Uh, no, no. I have three daughters, and they all are doing different things. Uh, one's a physical therapist in Montana. Uh, one works for Sun Common, and she's actually at, at 23 years old. Our state rep. Whoa, in Montpelier. Lucy, right? Yep. Yeah, Lucy, we talked with her. Proud. She's awesome. Yep. And then our, our youngest daughter, Rachel, is a junior at Roger Williams in Rhode Island. Awesome. Yep. Love that. Well, there's uh, there's still hope that, that one of them will step well, up, right? Well, even if they don't, it's, it, that's fine. It's, it's, you, want your, you want your kids to be successful and do what they're going to do. And I, I don't want any of, of my kids to feel like they have to do it, you know. And that's kind of – Did you feel like it. you had to go yes, back? Yes, yeah. that's yeah. what I'm getting at. And it, it was subconscious. I never really realized that there was a pressure on that. But growing up, you're the eldest son, and it's, it was a, a successful farm business, and it's always a – uh, subliminal message that, you know, this is your responsibility duty to do it. And I never really questioned it. Part of it was because I enjoyed doing it. Um, it was a, a good life. We worked hard, but, you know, every year at the end of the year, you had income and you had taxes. You'd buy a tractor, you'd buy this. And it was, it was uplifting. So I was at that young impressionable age when things were good. And I was never been afraid to work hard. But when you work hard, you see the fruits of your labor and things are good. You get into it. You know, um, but then fast forward to us getting out of college and all of a sudden the whole commodity world, you know, started going down, down, down and margins shrinking. And, and the world that I faced was a world of of very slim profits and much higher volume. So we were in this, you know, hamster wheel thing of you got to get bigger to be profitable. And all of a sudden, by the time you start to get that paid for, it's not big enough. You get bigger again. Um and it's a never-ending hamster wheel. And this is when you were predominantly just a dairy, dairy farm. Dairy, okay. Yep. And Mark was the only graduate 
from our class at UVM to go back to the family farm. That back year. to existing dairy farm. Ex- my buddy ex- Spalding started his own farm, but we're the only ones. Dude, you cannot, cor- don't correct the host okay. <laughs> our podcast. I did, sorry, sorry, educator. What do you think, I, I'm curious because, you know, it sounds to me like you knew you were going to take over the farm at some point. Like, did you want to go to UVM for the social aspect or was there something that you felt oh, was yes. missing? Yeah, well, very much so. Yeah. I've always been a very type A uh, extrovert social butterfly you know, big man on campus in the fraternity, student senate, <laughs> whoever playing loud. around. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah. Um, so, but I also wanted to go for agriculture to learn, you know, the newer, proper techniques and business stuff and all that. Um, it's rather ironic when I went to UVM, it was for animal science, you know, and agriculture. But by junior year, all of a sudden I was bombarded with real classes, biochemistry, anatomy of physiology. And I was like, this, there's like real work here. And, but it wasn't stuff I was ever going to use. So I went to the Dean of Agriculture and I said, I want to make a self-design major. And I, and I, I, ironically, I named it from cow to consumer. So I took marketing classes, public speaking, <laughs> uh, small business, entrepreneurial stuff, all that stuff. And the Dean of Ag, she was like, we're so glad you're doing this. Most people do it to get out of, bio, get out of biochemistry. And I was like, oh, pull the wool over their eyes big time. <laughs> fast, nice fast forward to where we are now and I'm doing Exactly that. And I, and I always thought I would do something in dairy, like make cheese, or actually fluid milk. I was looking to put my own bottling plant. I used to work at the UVM plant where they bottled milk and all that. But then as we got into dairy, I could just see the whole dairy thing was going down. Not so much down and down, but it was changing rapidly in a way that I didn't want to do. You had to get bigger, bigger, bigger. And I just didn't really want to do that. I always wanted to market our own products. So in August of 2000, we decided to sell uh, the, the Holstein milking herd. And... Um, and after they were sold, it was kind of a transition where at that point, my dad let go of things and it was my new Boyden Farm LLC that ran the place. So it's kind of a changing of the guard and also was a, a way to step back. Well, now what, what do we do? And we did the horse hay for a while. Did, did popcorn? Did you do I tried boy? popcorn. I tried. How the hell can we grow Vermont popcorn? Because you can't compete with it. Same thing with edible beans. I was the largest edible grower of edible beans like black beans, kidney beans, and uh, cranberry beans in New England. And I lost more money. On edible beans, anybody in New England, too. Damn. It's, it's not competitive. You know, it's just, yeah. no, there's really, you get right down to it, there's nothing that you can grow in Vermont that you can't make cheaper somewhere else, load it on a truck and bring it, period. And you have to accept that, you know. Um, so I did. But, so that's what got me more about, well, let's do it from a marketing perspective. Because if we can't produce this cheap, what we do have going for us, number one, we're in Vermont. You know, the, the, with the great image we have and, uh, and also our proximity to Boston, New York, and the whole East Coast. So that's what we can, we can beat the Midwest on all day long. So if we can get into something where our costs are comparable or not too awful bad, but use our marketing advantage, then we've got something. That's where beef fits. Because beef, may cost us, it definitely costs us more to do it here than it does, like my buddies in Minnesota or Nebraska. But... But we have Boston, New York, and all that in our backyard. Now that I have the Boyden Farm label, and we have our new trademark Grass Plus Beef program, we got distributors. Well, now we can compete, you know. What's the Grass Plus program? So everybody knows grass-fed beef. Everybody wants grass-fed. You see it all the time. Well, everybody wants it. It's a big market, but it's also saturated. Everybody like me is doing grass-fed beef and selling that. The problem with grass-fed beef is the quality of it is really marginal. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. It's never consistent. It's always lean. The animals are older, it's darker, it's tougher, and all that. 
Um, I did it one year because I felt I had to for marketing reasons, and it was a train wreck. They're just poor quality animals that were small. And I was like, this is this is stupid. This is just not the right way of doing it. So I went back to how I always used to do it, where we feed them predominantly grass, but some corn grain. And now since then, we've added some flax to the diet. And what oh, that wow. does, it increases the omega-3 levels in the beef. So it's a proprietary product we get from a guy super in Super beef. I could call it super beef, but Probably I wanted the word grass it. in there for marketing. Remember marketing, okay. you know? Yeah. I'm not a marketing fed, guy. Yeah, it's grass it's- plus. So we're going after this untapped market where you have grass plus on one side, you have, you know, highly marble fatty commodity stuff here. We're right smack in the middle. No one else is doing that. I fucking love your stuff, though. Yeah. Like, yeah we're going like, to edit. We're gonna literally. Like, I don't buy edit, hamburger yeah. unless it's yours. Well, thank and you. Flakes, and yeah. I, I would hope so. flax, too. But yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So I I have a question. I mean, you've just mentioned a a couple of really kind of fascinating pivots of the business. How do you stay up on all this stuff? What like what do you use to educate yourself? Is it a network of other farmers? Are there certain resources? Well, this crazy thing called the internet. You know, uh, I mean, I still have my little black book in my desk somewhere where I used to have phone numbers of people I would call, and I would just. You know, as one guy said, I was calling this guy in South Dakota once about beef stuff. He goes, well, you're burning dimes, aren't you? And you're back to the day of dimes in a payphone. And, uh, but, I mean, I researched a lot of this myself and then talking with the customers, what they're looking for, the meat buyers. And, and, and I'm a pretty good visionary person. That's how I got to where I am is I've, I've been able to see what's going on, what the trends are, where do I got to be at the right time? Yep. Like, like anybody entrepreneurial, you better be. You know? Yeah, it, I mean, as a, as a farmer, I mean, again, you get the land and seasons and, and livestock. Like, can you change that quickly? I mean, no. when you say quick change, is it like five years or is it six months? Like, but I'm talking marketing. I mean, like anything on the beef, you can change, I wouldn't say like in a week, but you can change over a year's time, maybe less. Like, for example, we used to be non-GMO verified. We're growing non-GMO crops. And we ended doing that because it was just too cost prohibitive. It was, the regulatories were hard. And we shifted to this program. It took a long time to get my label approved through USDA. Once that was approved, it was really as simple as working with the other farmers. I bring the cattle to me for the last 60 or 90 days, really put the flax to them to get the omega-3 levels built up to where it should be. And we already had it lab tested to verify that. And then once that's going, it just rolls, you know. But it's a matter of finding out, to answer your question, how do you find out about that? Well, it's a lot of phone calls, um, looking... You know, looking online to find the products, but a lot of phone calls and talk with people to see what works, what doesn't. For example, the first flax we got was from Alberta. Mega, high omega-3 levels in the beef, great and all that. But guess what? We sell it to Healthy Living or other stores around, and within a week's time, the meat was turning brown. We'll come to find out grass-fed beef is notorious for turning brown. There's a chemical reason it happens. Well, we raised the omega-3 so high and in the wrong way, it was doing that. Hmm. So I got rid of them, got the guys from Kansas who verified that it won't do that, and we feed extra vitamin E to help offset the, oxi- uh, the oxidation, and now we've got a great product. We had a great product so you're before. back to your biochemistry class that you've that The you one that I never went to, yes. <laughs> you don't need to be sitting in a classroom to know this stuff. That, that's so true. I have yes, like courses sandwich, like from you, college. I'm like, like I took forestry one on one at night because I wanted to ski all day, and it was like a night six o'clock class. Do you remember? Do you, I still use it. It was really interesting. Do you remember Robbie Davis? For sure. From, yeah. uh, from, from Fiji. He said to us, never let college get in the way of your education. 
Words to live by right there. Words to live by. Yeah. Is there any chance you'd come in and just run VSET for us? Because Well, I'll I, tell you, how, why don't we switch? You deal with my headaches. All right, I'll deal with this. No, no. You I don't want the headaches a, I have. No, I have a, no. a, a meat processing facility now. You want to talk headaches. Yeah. So you still got the farm in Cambridge, mm-hmm. right? How, mm-hmm. how many acres is that? It's like So we do, we own like 500 tillable acres. We rent another couple hundred. So it's about 700 tillable acres. And we have pasture. We have a sugar wood that I rent out to a local sugar, sugaring guy. Um, and we keep about 200 head of cattle on hand. So we actually sell most of our feed. So the 200 head of cattle, it sounds like a lot, but that's not a lot in today's world. So we, bought, we work a lot with other farmers around Vermont to get the cattle big to us. We put the flax to them for the last part and get them out the door. So it's a constantly revolving door. Every week cattle come in, cattle That's kind of a neat model, right? I mean, yeah, because I tried doing it all myself, buying them as baby calves and raise them all the way through for 19 or 20 months. Never again. Um, a lot of bonds, a lot of work, baby calves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, the goat uh, farmers here, right, um, in uh, central Vermont use a similar model. Like where they they put out the, the young stock to, to other farms that want it, and they bring them for mm-hmm. finishing and yeah. processing and, and mm-hmm. all the rest. So really cool. Um, can you just talk about other Vermont farms and farming today, like, are there any risks that just aren't the obvious ones that we read about every day? Like, like what risk? Yeah, for 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 business viability and. Well, I, I think the, the the big thing is, you know, what is true? Well, what is truly viable? What is truly not? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk for years about the working landscape in Vermont. Well, what is the working land? The working landscape to someone that lives in a, in a very expensive house in in Shirley, overlooking the lake. Their idea of a working landscape is very different than someone that lives up in Barton, Vermont, trying to make a living, you know. So, and that's that's where I try to find some common ground on it is we want to keep Vermont open, keep it looking good, but we got to have this so people can make a living here. And that's what gets neglected a lot of times on things. And there's a lot of help through working lands grants and all that to get people doing this, that, and the other. But really, it has to be a business that is viable at a scale big enough to work or else if it's smaller that can have the margins make it work like it's like it's great for someone to have okay i'm doing organic mushrooms well you can do that on one acre or two acres probably do pretty well something small it's higher value and you're marketing yourself trucking around but what i see a lot of times is people trying to get into farming and it's just never going to be at a scale that's really going to make it and that happens all the time on things right and that requires a big upfront capital equipment, tractors oh, and barns yeah. and hands yeah. and, and all the rest. And yeah, so you really you're either gonna be like really small and be like the small organic specialty something, or or if you're in the middle, you better have like your own truck to deliver or using a lot of your own labor, or you're gonna be bigger and, and like like the modern dairy farms are nowadays. And it's you know extremely capital intensive, um, but it does work. You know, and I really should talk a lot about if we're gonna talk about you know, agriculture in general, you have to talk about dairy because dairy is is the biggest agricultural force in this state. It always has been, and it will be long after long after I'm pushing the daisies up. It's is when you start. Wait a minute, you're, at, you just told us you're getting younger, right? Well, I am. Know, yeah. Know? Okay. All right. Yeah, that math isn't always going to work. All right. So, <laughs> but when you start, when you look at the thousands of acres that's kept open in Vermont. It's, it's vastly, the vast majority, I don't know if it's 70, 80, or 90% of it is either from a dairy farm or crops going to a dairy farm around. And we have to recognize that because I think dairy's been had, had a really bad, you know, hit in the face about how it's, it's dying, it's a dying industry, and they're not going to make it. And it was really bad for a while, but 
And you talk to some dairy farmers, sometimes it still is, but we're, we're at a point now where the ones that are left, they're in there for the long haul. They're milking 400, 600, 1,000, 2,000. They're in there for the long haul. And there may be times when they're not making money, but they're sometimes they're making really good money and they're going to make it now. So we're, we're at a point where things are quite stable. And if one that's milking 400 isn't going to make it, the one down the road milking 800 will now be 1,200. And that's not a bad thing. When you start pricing what this equipment costs and the, and the infrastructure needed, you need to do that. In fact, a lot of the ones that look big now at four or 500, they will be consolidating a lot of those to the big rotary parlors where they're doing two or 3,000 cows at a shop. Um, I, got, I got friends in Minnesota milking 100,000 right now. 100, or, or, or multiple, multiple barns, multiple barns. How do they um, remember the names? They don't. They, yeah. these, these guys are amazing. But, uh, but that, that's really something that you know, people have to keep in mind. A lot of my business is with the dairy farms. And believe it or not, the beef we get is almost entirely uh, from the dairy cows where they'll, they'll take their cows and breed them to an Angus or limousine cross. You get that calf that's half beef and you feed them properly and they look just like a full beef. And, and they make really high quality beef because the Holstein in there actually uh, makes better marbling on the, on the steaks than Angus alone will do. People don't know I that. I can't wait to go to the supermarket, Sam, and just look. I just, I learn something new every day. This is so you cool. Know? Oh, sorry. Were you going to go? No, I wanted you to ask a question. Oh. Like, I mean, man, I'm catching up with Mark, but yeah, this well, is I'm our just time. Like, uh, I'm, I'm just so intrigued. I like how you kind of laid out, like you, you sort of have to specialize, right? You really need to kind of zone in on what makes you different. And one of the things that you've, you know, mentioned a few times is the marketing piece of it mm-hmm. and how important that is. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Boyden's marketing has evolved? Do you do it in house? Do you hire someone to help you do it? And like, how do you suggest other farmers kind of focus on that? Because obviously, that's a very different skill set than oh, <laughs> running a farm. Very much so. Yeah, I, I have a lot of farmer friends who are great farmers that would never want to be doing marketing. Yeah, you know, it's it's a whole different world. Um, I mean, like in my case, I started it. Mostly myself. I mean, actually, most I started myself, but then I also met with Place Creative, and they helped develop. The, they did develop the logo that I have now, which is a great logo. Thank you. The blue, the blue plaid. With Love the, it. That's all Place Creative. In fact, we're about to be doing more business with them again very soon. We just received a USDA value added producer grant. Can we that's please buy like the first two hats you sell? Come on. Okay. Okay. I will put that in my notes. Everybody's put been that. telling me to sell hats. Maybe like, I'll make I more, think, maybe I I'll think make when, more money I think when swag. Alan Newman was running Magic Hat back in the early days, I believe he made more money from his t-shirts than he did the beer. You probably, you could be right on that. Yeah. We'll have to so, fact check that one. Yeah. We'll, we'll have Alan call in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, we're in love with the place. We're about to be working again. Um, we just rolled out a line of Boyden Farm Grass Plus hot dogs. And oh, let's we just go. Started, oh, the, these are good. And we just started, uh, we, have, we have pigs, uh, a guy growing pigs for us. We have a, a new, just starting next week, a Boyden Farm flax fed uh, pork program coming out. So we got the beef, Sign we got the pork, we got the hot up. dogs. Did you like a CSA for all this stuff? I've never done a CSA. I've never even done farmer's markets. I've totally bypassed that whole thing. No, I don't see you doing well at a no, farmer's market. No, not. Yeah. No, not my You're thing. too chatty. Well, you got to process the people, get them through. Like that's where you hire Dave. At farmer's markets? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, no, 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 I like my Sunday mornings. Um, what's the role of... Uh, and, or how do you do? You need to incent young people to get into farming, or do you have a view on sort of like how do you, if it's not being passed down to like the next generation, right? How do you get folks to sort of pick up the working landscape? 
Well, in fact, right now as we speak, I have a, a young guy that's my farm manager who is 20, I think he's 24, um, you know, gung-ho to get involved in the business. And we're in talks about how to structure this to do it. I mean, I mean the devil's in the details on this, of course. Um, and um, and, I, and he has a couple of friends also interested, too. So, you know, we're talking amongst ourselves how to structure this. Um, it really comes down to finance and timing on all this, too, to make it all work. Um, I'm 57 now. Uh, it'd be simpler if I was 47, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but at least I'm not 68 or something either. Right. You know? So you, so there's, you there's see enough people, people interested in Oh, yeah. In there's definitely, of, okay, that's good there's definitely young people that want to do this stuff, you know. Um, it's just so cost prohibitive to get in. I mean, how do you do it? If, say, you're a young person and, you know, if, if you don't have, you know, parents that can help you out or some kind of nest egg to help you out, I mean, how do you get started on this? You know, a tractor, I, you know, I bought a tractor last year used. It was $140,000 used, you know. You know, knew they're pushing 200 grand. Jesus. Um, it's just it's to come with a stereo or what? Oh, what shit. This is music. This yeah. is, this is it a has, robot tractor? It's not, but it, you can you can you can hook it into uh, GPS and uh, Spotify yeah. probably get all that stuff. Well, you can you can basically you can hook the auto steering with GPS, so it'll steer itself around fields and all that. Oh, yeah. Wow, this is a high tech stuff here. I kind of want to get in one. Can we come up for a field trip? Yeah, I still like my old Farm All H that my grandfather bought in 1950. Love but, it, love it. Yeah. Still still running strong. It runs awesome. Like a dream. You just can't do much with it because it's so small and so slow. But boy, when you look at that, it's like, I wish everything was this simple so I could fix it. And I say that as I drove my 2006 van to get here, which I haul my dirt bikes and motorcycles in, that has a diesel and the hand crank windows, you know? Hey, if I told you would love him, right? I know. Big fan. You're listening to Start Here, a podcast from Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies. VSET is a public benefit corporation serving Vermont businesses from start to scale. We provide no-cost strategic business advising for any business owner, regardless of stage or industry, as well as venture capital for early stage tech or tech-enabled businesses. You can find us online at vset.co. That's V-C-E-T dot C-O. If you like what you're hearing, please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast today. Now, back to the show. So you casually mentioned a slaughterhouse situation. Casually mentioned. Let's get so, into that. I so, mean, come on. I'm either really smart or I'm really stupid, and I haven't figured out which one it is or if it's a combination of the both. But as I'm, everybody's like, well, you're getting older. Don't you want to slow down on this? Well, we were, we were at this crossroad a year and a half ago that if we didn't get our own slaughterhouse or butcher facility, we were going to be done. Because with COVID, every place doing the butchering work for us was imploding, losing their help, and they were getting filled with all the people that wanted their one, two, three, or four done. Well, all of a sudden, nobody wanted to do Mark Boyden's, you know, 10 or 12 beef a week because they could they could just do the small stuff and do it simpler and charge more for it. Where if you do it for me, I'm pretty picky. I want my packaging done right. I want it done this way. I want it done on time. And the place we're at did not like that. Um, I received an email the Monday before Christmas, December 14th of 2021. Thank you for your years of service. Effective today. Do not bring any more cattle. Yeah. I went Merry back, Christmas to Mark. You know what? I went ballistic and got nowhere with that. And basically, I called a guy in New Hampshire up and who I knew of and said, look, you get me in on this and I'll give you a business 52 weeks out of the year. No questions asked. He said, Mark, bring him tomorrow. We'll butcher him. I brought him there. I never missed a beat. 
Six weeks later, he died. And it's a, a nice facility in northern New Hampshire with a great staff on board, all the permits, and, and all their customer base. And after, we let, you know, out of respect, let the dust settle, and then we met with the widow, and we said, you know, look, we're about to rent a facility in Claremont. That's just process only. But if you want to sell this, which is slaughter and process, I want to buy it. And through a lot of tears, she said yes. And then fast forward through many, many months of M&A, you know, yep. appraisals, uh, dealing with lawyers and accountants and all that, and begging and borrowing, pleading to the banks. And I, li- I literally bet the farm on this. I leveraged myself right to here and said, we're going to go for it. We're going to go for it, spend a ton of money. Spend a ton of money, but when I look at what she asked for, I knew it was a deal. And I dicker on everything. I mean, even my kids going to college, I dicker on what I pay. And I win. All right. <laughs> I didn't dicker one. It looked like a lot of money, but I knew it was a good deal. And she gave me the price. I said, I'll take it. You know, and then got to closing and here we are. So now uh, since November of last year, we own a facility in northern New Hampshire. that's uh, got a lot of potential, a lot of potential. Like I said, with a great staff, a great crew already on board that are fully trained. We got all of their accounts for beef and pork. So it was like a reverse acquisition. We went from a $2 million business to a $6 million business, just like that. Wow. And we're expanding beyond that. That's and, great. How many people in the, in the I have empire a, now? I have uh, about uh, 25 or 26 employees over there and two people. In wow. Vermont. Do they all have the new hats too? No. Yeah. No, I right. Well, it's Monster Packing over there. So we, have a, we rebranded that Monster Farms for that account. And the business is Monster Packing. They have Boyden Farms. So I have like the Boyden Farm label, which is the Grass Plus, Anabog Free and all that. Then the Monster Farms, which is just good local stuff. So I can mm-hmm. keep it kind of two-tier price system that way. And it gives us more availability with the cattle, too. Pretty smart guy, huh, Sam? Yeah, damn. Right? Smartest guy that came out of UVM. If I was smart. Looks can be deceiving. I was smart, I would have gone to law school or med school or something. But here I am. Smartest guy from the class That's of eighty eight no for sure. Happiness. We have so many. We have so many former lawyers sitting out oh, here oh, I believe that, that are startups or they they wanted to be an entrepreneur. They kind of the law helped, but they abandoned it at some point. Oh, I believe that. I'm gonna have Taylor edit this so that you can really hear my dig at Dave. Anyway. Oh, I missed it. She yeah, me? yeah, it's fine. Um, the people know. People know. The people know. Uh, Mark. It sounds like you've made some great decisions over the years. But I've made a lot of bad ones, too. Let's get into that. that. That's what, what I want to hear about. What, yeah, like some bad Ooh. ones. Which one might, wakes might you up at night? I have person. almost gone out of business I don't know how many times. And I know everybody who's in like Silicon Valley likes to brag about how much they failed. Well, I guess this is my turn on that. It's, you know, I did the edible bean thing. But at least that was at a time I was younger. We were still milking cows. It was... It was a bummer. Yeah, lost that you pick yourself up and move. An experiment. On. It was ex- it yeah. was an expensive experiment, but it wasn't it wasn't like a, a it wasn't gonna kill me on that part, you know. Um but boy, getting into the beef thing, you know, I got too big, too fast, to tried raising everything myself from baby calves all the way through, got horribly overcapitalized, not enough money coming, and not enough planning. I was not I, I'm a typical farmer, you know, running hundred miles an hour, this, that, and the other. And needed to spend a lot more time on the QuickBooks with the right people on the planning and the counting. And at the time, I had a guy doing some stuff for me. It really wasn't very thorough. So I, mean, I got myself in a big mess real fast. Um, luckily for me, uh, I have a friend of mine who did very well. In fact, Dave, you met him years ago. He stayed at a fraternity house years ago. Uh, I mean, you're not going to remember There's no way I'm going to remember gonna remember, You're not going to remember this. Uh, uh, one of my best friends is... He was an exchange student when I was in high school. He's German. Uh, his, his name's Torsten Zies. And um, 
kind of a tale of tale of two kids. We were kind of competitive in high school, calculus, you know, I'm going to do better than you with this. He did better than me. Um, uh, I went to UVM for ag. He went to Germany's um, Aachen School, like MIT, you know, and uh, he did very well. He ended up being the number one heart researcher in the world. Um, Dr. Jarvik wanted to be his head researcher. He turned him down. He started this little, he ended up merging with this company called Abiomed. If you Google Abiomed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, it's a big deal. Yeah. He is Abiomed. He is. 90% of their business with a heart pump he invented. Why is he helping you with cows so, and beef? So years ago, he's at my house. He's Bring like, that back. So like, it's just meeting the right people and knowing the right people. And this is, this is kind of shit-ass luck too. But we, we've been best friends ever since then. Um, I kind of choked up on this. Um, oh. Um, yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah. Really, um, really neat. So he won. He was at my house. He's like, you know, I'm making all this money. I don't trust these investors, and I want to do something in farm. I'm like, yeah, right, yeah. Well, then, you know, a year or two later, I was like, you know, I'm going to take him up on this. You know, so that's how we're at where we are today. Is he's he's in with me on this whole thing, on this journey, and now we're at a point where our business is really growing, and we're we're uh, we're presenting a pitch deck to the right people to see what we need now to bring investors in because we don't want to keep going to the bank all the time. Right, right. Now, now the business at the point where, you know, Mark Brogan's brought it here. Let's really grow this business. So it's Mark with the board of directors and really grow this from a $6 million business to a 20, 30 or 40. You know, we, we look at pitch decks all the time. Well, you're about to see one real soon. Yeah. yeah where do we sign? So I have, I've heard from Mark a few times over the years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, we have, but I was at more, the point more like, then, just like, hey, you know, talk things through. And, and that ideas. was when I was hoping to get someone involved, but I wasn't ready. Now we're at a point where I have it because I also have a, a business advisor, Jean-Sylvain LeBay from Montreal, who is absolutely brilliant. And him and I get along great. And he has been instrumental in us getting the acquisition of Monster Packing and building the business up, doing the, the projections, the forecast, coaching me on how to manage my people, how to get my team set up. The whole, oh, that's so the whole, great. This great guy, to have a team with different skills, well, right? Well, exactly. And in fact, that's our job this weekend is get the pitch deck finalized so we can present it to the right people and really grow the business. Because the reason we're doing this now is we're a, you're about, about to be getting USDA grants of about $5 million to grow the business. That's a big deal. Wow. So when we have the grants in there with the business, uh, you know, and, 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 what our, and how we're set up with the distributors for growth, the supply of the cattle, we have the right team at the Monshare Packing. I have the right marketing team. We have all the pieces of the puzzle here. Whereas, but years ago when you were talking, I, I didn't, I had a dream of it. But now we're here and it's in place. So now it's time to actually talk to the right people with the pitch deck and execute on it. Yeah, I'm not saying we're the right people, but. Well, no, but everybody like, knows everybody. Yeah. That's how this works. Damn, you've been busy. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Very busy. Wowzer. Any resources in the state that have been helpful in the journey? You know, the Extension Center or Vita or yeah, you know, uh, farmers? Well, the work, the Vermont Working Lands Program yep. has helped. We received one of those grants, which, which clearly helps because I've been paying a huge amount of money on getting the right accounting, accounting people to merge the business together, my business consultant. I mean, it, so really, when I look at buying the Montshire facility, it was that cost plus all the other costs to bring the business forward, you know. So it's really both combined. And without the grants, it's, it's really hard to do. So the working lands has been helpful. Um, I haven't done much with Vita. Extensions have been some help. Um, but a lot of this is, you know, we talked before, calling people, talking, and just figuring it out. 
And on the, the sort of science side of things, right, are you still working with UVM or other other not not much with UVM centers? No, yeah, no. no. Um, like on the beef thing, we've had some lab tested, but it's, it's the labs they use where they're from. I mean, I mean, beef. You 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 deal with people in Kansas and Nebraska on that. You know, I, I don't think I know anybody in Nebraska. No. How about you, Sam? No, I no I'd like to. I I'd do. like to. I'm open to I'm it. I'm sure you got your people for sure. Yeah. Um. One thing I wanted to ask you about, I asked you a little before we started recording, and I realized I should I should ask again, is just um, the impact of this summer's flooding um, oh. on you. Because oh. I, I drove by, and oh. I it didn't look great from where I was, and so... No, not pretty. Yeah. Now, for all you don't know, I mean, I live in, in the Lamoille River Valley, and we farm, well, almost all 700 acres is in that valley. So we, we probably have... Uh, between myself and my neighbor, Jason Boisno, we probably have the most flooded areas in the whole state of Vermont um, or close to it. And I've gone through a lot of floods since I started, you know, my, my, my working career in 1988. And, you know, my dad before me and my grandfather before that, they would have a flood once in a while. It would be in the spring for the snow runoff and maybe an all ball one once in a while. But, and even my dad was saying before he passed away, it's like, it's just, it seems like we get floods all the time now, you never know what's going to happen. It could be July, it could be August. You just don't know. This this last one was a doozy. It was the biggest one since 1927. And, uh, and unfortunately, it was at a time when the corn was at medium height and it just flattened it. And once it did, I was like, wow, it's bent over. Maybe it'll come back up. But it was all snapped between all the, the no growing points and it just did not. So it stayed green, never popped back up. But now not, it's all not usable. Brown. Oh, it's, it's, it's all done. So we lost most of the corn. Now, ironically, the soybeans were at a different stage of growth. They were at a, a, at a more vegetative, younger phase. They bent over. They're bouncing back up. And they look great. Hmm. So corn, corn, is, corn is like a racehorse. Everything has to be just right, and it'll perform like crazy. It is. It'll perform like crazy. But if one little piece isn't there, it falters horribly. Soybeans, you can beat the heck out of them, and hmm. they like it. It's like, like you, you prune fruit, you prune grapes, you prune apples. It's the same with soybeans. There's farmers in the Midwest that go through with hail simulators to beat the soybeans and just stress it, just and it'll make, make more pods. And it goes into reproductive phase more because when it's stressed out, it tries to set more fruit. So soybeans will actually yield more. Corn, you beat up corn, you get shitty corn. Done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So, I mean, do you just leave it? and that, like? Yeah, we're hairing yeah. up. We're going to plant some winter rye as a cover crop. Uh, we're trying to harvest and salvage what corn we can. Yeah. Uh, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it just it sounds like it's part of the life it's of a, a farmer. I'm yeah. Crop insurance. You buy crop insurance for a reason. Yeah. You know, luckily, I upped my policy a little bit this week. There must be a little voice in my brain saying, you know, we have had a bad flood in a while. Let's increase Whoa. the coverage a little bit. Because my crop insurance guy, he said, he said, hey, did you know you increase your coverage this year? I was like, no, I forgot, but I'm glad I did. That's insane. So, so we're going to do okay. Yeah. You know, we're going to do okay. Gonna... You know, as I told people I work with, you know, if we can do okay financially on the worst year I've ever seen, then that's a pretty good proof that it's a good Set business you up. model. Yeah. Totally. And, yeah, really. Yeah. And one of the things I would ask too is, if you, I know you all do, you have the winery and you do weddings and all that. Is mm -hmm. that part of the business so, as well or is that so separate? The wedding is us. My wife, Lori, mm -hmm. runs the wedding product. Boyd and Defense. So that's her LLC. So... She and I own that and the farming operation together. My brother owns the winery himself, him and his wife. Gotcha. So that's separate. 
Okay, that's awesome. I can say hi to Lori. <laughs> hi, Lori. <laughs> there you go. It's it's such a beautiful farm. It really well, is. You. For we any, work, we work hard at it. It's a lot of work. It's it's so beautiful that it's like, are they working? Because it just looks like so beautiful. Are they working? Like, yes. That's how do you, the, what do you think it looks that way? <laughs> that. It's at the bend in the road. Right? No, it's it's the, yeah. it's the type of farm that looks like it's just it's built for events, but really it's well, working. and that's the struggle. Yeah. Is, it's we keep it looking good for events and then my brother's for the winery. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, yeah. I'm doing beef and crops and I don't make anything off that. I mean, I do indirectly through my wife's wedding thing, of yeah. course, but it's a constant struggle of, okay, what days we clean the barn out? Are we spreading manure? We're not spreading it on a Friday. Uh, or if we're trucking away, where are the trucks going? It's, it's, a, it's, we have to watch that. See, I knew know? it. I knew it. I could tell it's but too good looking. Farming. But we're still farming. <laughs> it's still corn. You know, hey, soybeans, the beef. It's just we balance what we do around that and, you know, making sure we don't make a mess, don't have the dust flying everywhere. It's, 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 yeah. It's, I mean, I'm sure it's, you, you learn each year how to tweak it and improve. Oh, yeah. So, oh, believe me, I'm still learning. That's, that's my wife. I, I still have a lot to learn for sure. Did, did you spray manure before a wedding once? Is that how you learned? Oh, no, I watched that like a hawk. Okay. I watched all that right. like a hawk. And we spread the manure first thing in the spring, so early May it's all done. So she's doing events by mid-May. I make sure that's all done. I truck it away after that. So, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, we only have a couple minutes. No. Yeah, no. Um, I'm starving all of a sudden. I mean, I'm definitely going to have beef today. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite recipe with beef? No, I like it all. You yeah. like it all. How do you take I, your, uh, your burger? Oh, rare to medium rare. That's what I like Never, to hear. never well done. Never have beef uh, well done or even medium. Cheese, you put cheddar on it or? Always. Yellow American? Cabot, cabot, yeah, cheddar. Yeah, cabot cheddar. Of course. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of fun in Vermont to go around and ask for yellow American cheese. It, I don't people's heads American fall off. Cheddar. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. I don't ever want it, but just oh, give me yellow American. Yeah. Try that. It's not very American. But, um, <laughs> all right. Mark, any, Sam, any last questions for Mark? Because we, we probably won't see him again. He's so darn busy. No, I'm going to come visit, though, for sure. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little team trip. Yeah, I'm not too far from you. I live in Essex Town. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and you, you, the, the little one, your, your son. Yeah, he's a, he's a big old McDonald's fan right now. So, oh, we'll yeah. get him on the hey, anything Jeff, we, Go to the Burger Barn and Jeff. Yeah, I've always wanted to go there. from Brilliant for the Burger. It's a is it Boyden? Is it Boyden? Oh, it's oh Boyden. thank God. That's why they get so much traffic there. People, it's got, it has to be the busiest burger place in the state. It is insane. I've never heard of it. It's a little food truck three miles up the road from me in Jeffersonville. People literally drive from Milton, Burlington, Shelburne, all over the place, Hardwick, Vermont, and drive there to get, and they have like 30 different burgers there. I need a just burger. Say, uh, awesome. Just say Mark sent you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's all boy anything, anything we didn't ask you that you wanted to share about um, your journey as a as a we think you're an entrepreneur. Are farmers entrepreneurs? Farmers are entrepreneurs. I, yeah, I even, think so too. Even if you're a dairy farm and you just focus on mink and milk, you're still entrepreneurial. You don't have to be marketing entrepreneurial because the truck comes in every day and they give you a check twice a month. Is it's there's no marketing, but it's still production based. You know, uh, so you have to be very entrepreneurial to know what to do as far as land crops. You know, do I expand? Do I do this? Whatever. Um, I mean, in my case, I've always been very, I've always been very marketing oriented. Right, right. You know, well, so we tell folks, you know, you need three personalities in a in a company, right? You need a hustler, more than that. hustler to sell it, a hipster to make it really, you know, desirable and marketed, and then a, a hacker to build it. I never heard right. that. But it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. you you got a little bit of all three. I've, I've, all that plus a little yeah. more. I've yeah. heard it a few times. Mm-hmm. 
Just oh, you. should I stop saying it? Oh, well. <laughs> My bad. No, it's a first for Mark. Is so it Groundhog Day for that? I'll well, stop. No, it's okay. It's All right. We'll, we'll pull the crowd and see what they think. <laughs> we'll pull, yeah, our, our instant feedback on our podcast. <laughs> Sam, give them the last question, please. All right, Mark, if you could change one thing about Vermont today, what would oh. you change? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I kind of long for the old days when it's not going to happen. I mean... You know, when I was growing up, there was like 32 farms in town that were milking cows. And it was still a farming-based place. And there was less people, less traffic. You know, we didn't have the cell phones, this, that, and the other. But it is what it is. I mean, I'm I'm talking back to the 70s here or or, or early 80s. Um, It seems, well, I notice this almost daily. I go to New Hampshire like at least three days a week. And when you cross the river, you're in a different world. I mean, it used to be very similar, that, but we were more agrarian. They were a little closer. But now, politically, socially, culturally, it's a whole different world. And I'm, I'm a kind of a libertarian standpoint, kind of. You know, I'm an old-school Vermont Republican, all right? What the hell is that nowadays, right? You know, the, 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 the Republicans in Washington, you know, I'm sorry, but they're nuts, you know? And then at, on, on the Democrat side, it seems like it's gone too far to the left. And I feel like I'm like... A lot of the majority of America that's stuck in the middle, well, well, what the hell am I, you know? And I kind of feel that that, that Vermont, you know, I, I, just, I just wish that as we go forward in our policies and we look at who we are, that we don't lose the track of the roots of what made Vermont Vermont. You know, we were, we were, we were you know, the old school Vermont Republicans were financially shrewd, but had a social and moral compass and conscience on things. And I think that's lost a lot now. And I, I just, I just wish that uh, that Vermont was more that way, or maybe we could we could think of that more as we go forward on things. And I talk to my daughter Lucy would all you, the time. Would you give it. up your cell phone for that to happen? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what that's what I get at. Is, I love you know, it. The old, the, I mean, the good old days weren't all that good about this. Too. It's just, it's you can just see changes happening, but it's as long as we don't lose track of our roots as we do. Yeah, yeah, the, tra- the, the traffic know, is the, yeah. You traffic, notice that oh, daily. Mark Boyden, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. This has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series is supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Sam, let's go have a burger. Mmm.